0: All right, well, I got a little bit to live up to there. Um, <laughs> thanks, Chris. He actually, thanks for setting me up. Um, he didn't know, we talked last night, didn't know that I was going to uh, kind of start off um, by mentioning, you know, there's a, there's a central document that uh, embodies all of the beliefs and the values that this country was founded upon. Uh, in the Declaration of Independence. And when Sean had asked me to speak, um, I didn't even look at the calendar. I didn't put two and two together that I was gonna be speaking on Memorial Day weekend. Um, But in that, it says that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? But what does that pursuit look like? Like, what are we pursuing in our lives to try to make us happy? And we know that there's a long list of celebrities and athletes and successful businessmen that have pursued happiness out of priority. They have made that their goal, and they have found it empty, right? Okay, I found a couple of, these are actual quotes from people that you've probably heard of, maybe you haven't. Daniel Radcliffe, he's the guy that played Harry Potter, said that people were booing him even as a child, and it was tempting to turn to alcohol and drugs just to cope with it. Amy Schumer, she said that going to star-studded gala events felt like punishment. George Clooney said the big house on the hill is very isolating. Selena Gomez said that it is nothing but constant pressure. And Lady Gaga said you belong to everyone else. Doesn't really sound like a lot of life and liberty there or happiness. But the premise for the message today is the presence of his presence, right? The gift of his presence. This is... Aaron selected these songs weeks ago. He didn't know what I was speaking on. Um, The presence of his presence. What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing relationship with the Father? Or are we trying to find happiness in material things? Or even the things that we can get from God instead of the giver himself? So before we start, let's pray, and then we'll dig into the word. Father God, I pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would make yourself real to us here that you would be glorified in the reading of your word as we seek your presence in Jesus' name. So, I'm, it's going to be a lot of scripture. I'm going to go kind of rapid fire. Um, but we spend far too much time trying to set ourselves up for this life. And far too little time thinking about the next bazillion years that we're going to be spending in eternity. And the way that we live now is going to determine what we are responsible for there. We're gonna have, have jobs, that might surprise you. We're gonna have responsibilities, we're gonna have things to do that are perfectly suited to who you are. But the way that we live here, our priorities are gonna determine that. Now, there was a scientist in the 1600s, his name was Blaise Pascal, and I hope I'm saying that right. The other uh, option was Blase Pascal. I didn't think that was right. So, this is what he said. He says, What else does this craving, this helplessness, proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries to fill in vain, to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite immutable object. In other words, by God Himself. Very well said. Interesting, he actually had a unit of measurement named after him. The Pascal is a unit of measurement or uh, of stress or pressure on an object. That's what he studied. Sound like maybe he was, um, knew what he was talking about. Man is made for relationship. Our, our text today is gonna come out of John six and this is directly following two of Jesus's biggest miracles, okay? He is at the height of his popularity. Thousands of people are following him and he feeds the 5,000, right? Big miracle. And then right after that, because the people are going to grab him and make him king. Because he's done this great miracle. And he tells the disciples, we need a split. Why don't you guys go to the other end of the sea and I will catch up with you. And so you know the story. They come into a huge storm. Jesus does catch up with them as he's walking on the water. Um, passes them up. And they get to the other side. And so this is what happens when they get to the other side. John 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, and they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered And This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So... I can see it now. They cross the other side and they bump into Jesus. And they're like, when did you get here? Fancy meeting you here. But Jesus sees right through him. And he says, listen, you guys aren't seeking me for relationship. You just want what I can do for you because I fed you. And now you're hungry again. So um, please remember that as I am preaching, I've been preaching this to myself for like three weeks. Okay? Getting ready for this. And um, it's been interesting because God has given me multiple opportunities To live it out. Um, And so that's always fun. But he wants to make sure that I believe it before I preach it, and I do. So are material things bad? No, they're not. They're blessings, right? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, but it has to be our priorities. Because we can't truly uh, appreciate and enjoy those gifts that he gives, those presents, if they're out of alignment, if we get it in front of him. Because it's not about the gift, it's about the giver. Okay, what if, what, my wife and I, we're like 25 years, almost 25 years we going on. What if when we first started dating, I showed up at her house with a huge bouquet of roses, right? And not the ones you get from Quick Trip. Those are great in a pinch, but these are the real, these are the big ones, okay? And I show up on the doorstep and I give them to her and she freaks out and she just gushes over the roses and she runs inside and she shows her mom and she's taking pictures and she's putting them on Facebook and she comes back out because she left me on the porch and she gets into her car and drives around and shows her friends and goes to dinner with the roses. That sounds ridiculous, right? But sometimes we have a tendency to value the gift over the giver. In Romans one twenty-five, it says that this is speaking of of evil men that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. We have some of that in our society today, don't we? Worshiping the creation and not acknowledging God. C. S. Lewis, the great writer, said, If you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at heaven, or if you aim at earth, you're not going to get either. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about this very thing. We've heard this one before. Uh, verse 19, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's about heaven, gang. You no, know, we're going to heaven Do you ever just think about that, what it's going to be like? I I can't wait to get there, personally. I'm looking forward to my house on the beach. I'm looking forward to talking with uh, loved ones and people from the Bible. Uh, A great evangelist once said, Show me a man's checkbook, and I will show you the things that are important to him in his life. So, later on, after that, Jesus is talking about being anxious, And so he talks about not laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then later he's talking about being anxious because when we have things, we tend to be anxious about them, right? Family, jobs, right? Our health, um, money. These are things that we are anxious about because we want to keep them while while they're here. Uh, We can't take them with us, but we can send them on ahead. There's a story of a man and he gets to heaven And the angel takes him and he says, let me take you to your home where you're going to be living. And they're walking down the street and there's all these huge mansions and they're getting bigger and bigger as they walk. And then at the end, they turn, they take a turn and they go down the street and there's this little cottage. And the guy kind of looks at the angel, he's like, what's the deal? You know, why I have this little house? And the angel says, well, you know, we did the best we could with what you sent. That's a tithing sermon. I'm not doing that this morning. I'm not doing that. Don't worry. Okay. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things, all the provisions that he knows we need will be added to you. So seek first, it's a matter of priority, his kingdom. All right. First point. I have three points today so you can keep track when we get close. Um, All my points start with one letter. So I'm excited about that. I'm getting better at this. When we pursue relationship with the Father and with Jesus, we will find forgiveness. Our greatest need, not our wants, but our greatest need is forgiveness and also restoration. Jesus came with this express purpose to die for our sins, but also so that we could be restored to relationship. That is our greatest need. So, In Luke 15, we have uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Luke 15 is about the prodigal son, right? So there is a father, and he has two sons. And the younger son comes to him and says, Dad, I want my inheritance right now. Give me the goods. I don't care about relationship with you. I don't care if you're dead, quite honestly, because I want what's coming to me. Now... Obviously, this is weird because you don't get the inheritance until after the dad dies, but the older son would get it first, and he would get a double portion. So this son is saying, I want my third. Value your estate. Give me what's coming to me, and his dad does. And so he takes off, goes to a foreign land where he he blows it, right? He spends it all. He lives it up. Women, parties, people, uh, possessions, just uh, spends it all. And right at the time that the money runs out, a famine hits the land. Not coincidental. When we pursue the things of the world, when we make that our aim, at the end of it, we're going to find a desert. We're going to be dry. It's not going to fulfill. So in Proverbs fourteen twelve, it says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You know, the way of the world is eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. That's the way of the world. I saw a bumper sticker uh, on a truck. It was one of those big trucks. I don't know why it's a big truck, okay? I don't have um, a big thing about the big trucks. But it had a bumper sticker on it, and it said, The guy who dies with the most toys wins. That's the wrong mindset. So, in Hebrews 11, it tells us that Moses, one of the central figures in the Old Testament, that he chose. This guy is next in line for the throne in Egypt, the biggest empire of his day. And it says that he chose to suffer affliction with his brothers rather than enjoy the, the sins of pleasure for a season. Why would he do that? Why would he choose to suffer affliction rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin? I would suggest to you it's because he was living with the end in mind. He was, living, he was looking forward to eternity. And if we live our lives in light of eternity, then we're going to reprioritize our lives and put the things that are important. We're going to take time to come to church, to read our Bibles, to sow into our children the things of the Lord. So, once the riches ran out, he found himself literally bound to the world. He has to sell himself just to survive, And so he sells himself to a farmer, and not just any farmer, not old McDonald, a pig farmer, a pig farmer. So you have a Jewish boy who is now working for a pig farmer, and he sends him out to feed the pigs, not kosher, not kosher. And so he's out there slopping the pigs, and it says that he came to his senses. I like that. He comes to his senses, and he says, my father's servants have more than enough to eat, they're well provided for and here I am ready to dive in with the swine how did he come to his senses bible tells us in john 16:8 that when the holy spirit comes he will convict the world of sin he'll convict the world of sin and in john 6:44 jesus says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him Gang, when we have friends and family or children that walk away from the Lord, what should we do? Should we beat them over the head with Bible verses or engage them on Facebook in a theological discussion? We should pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their heart and convicts them to bring them back. Because when we see ourselves um, or who we are without the Father... It should compel us back to him. Okay, the son comes back, and it's a beautiful scene. It says, while he was a long ways off, his dad saw him, and he comes running. He runs, and he finds his son. He has compassion on him. He embraces him, and he kissed him. This is incredible. Now, the rich men of that day, you have to understand, they, they would have been a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger. They lived lives um, of luxury. They weren't working. Okay? They had servants for that. They would wear long robes with big sleeves, sandals on their feet. They didn't do things that were going to you know, make them sweat because they didn't have to. They were the, the head hog at the trough, so to speak. And so he sees his son and he runs. This, this would have been a sight to see. Everyone would have been shocked to see this guy running a long ways off. And so it says when he got there, he embraced his son. Now, literally the verbiage there is he fell on his neck and smothered him. Just smothered him. Why did he smother him? Well, first, obviously, compassion. His son, he didn't know if he was dead or alive, and he had come back. But second of all, he he covered him for protection. In Deuteronomy 21, it says that if you have a rebellious son who won't listen, who's defiant. You are supposed to take him to the elders and have the men of the city stone him to death. Kids, pick up your rooms. <laughs> Seriously, just do the chores. They were supposed to stone him to death. So he found instant compassion and protection when he came back to the father. And so the son has this whole this whole speech prepared that he goes into about, you know, just make me a servant. You know, he's gone from a kid who said, give me the goods to make me a servant. I just, I'm just pursuing you. I just want to be, and his dad interrupts him in mid sentence. He's not listening to him. He yells back to the house, bring a robe, bring sandals for his feet, put a ring on his finger. He gets instant forgiveness and restoration with his father, which is exactly what he needed. His father was looking for him, and he found him. So, his dad throws a party. This is where we get the phrase, kill the fatted calf. That's what his dad did. They had a party. Jesus said, there is more, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who have no need. And so, heaven throws a party, which is what his dad did. The son got what he wanted when he started out, but it wasn't what he needed What he needed was restoration and forgiveness. Now, in Luke 5, we have another story, and it's an example of a man who got what he needed first before he got the practical provision. Now, Jesus, early on in his ministry, uh, was teaching in this house. And there were people who came from all over just to hear him speak. They had heard about this young rabbi, and uh, they wanted to come check him out. So you had lawyers, and you had teachers of the law, and you had the Pharisees, and they packed into this house hear what this guy was saying so there wasn't any room people were at the windows they were pouring out the doors they just wanted to hear this guy but these four these four friends they had this other friend who was um, who was lame he was actually a paralytic and so they had heard about this Jesus also and so they want to bring their friend to get healing but they can't get anywhere near him because it's packed out and so they look up and there's nobody on the roof of the house so they go up there and they start ripping it apart, ripping open the roof. Stuff's flying everywhere. They lower him down on ropes. And what does Jesus say? Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of all of the religious people. I'm right in the middle of my second point. I've got this cool acrostic going, and now you're here. No. Jesus has compassion on him and he says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm one of his buddies and I'm standing on the roof that I just tore open so I could get him in front of Jesus and I hear him say, your sins are forgiven, I would have been like, wait, what? (laughs) This isn't why we came here. But if you think about it, he's a paralytic. He can't go to the temple. He can't go make sacrifices for his sins. Jesus sees through him and he meets his real need, which is forgiveness. Some Bible scholars have even theorized that maybe he was a paralytic because of some sin that he had committed, and that was eating away at his soul. Either way, Jesus knew what he needed first before he met his practical need. And they're freaking out, and they're saying, who is this guy that blasphemes and says, your sins are forgiven? And Jesus says, listen, just so you know that I can do both, pick up your bed and walk. So he meets that practical need. Now, second point, moving right along. When we pursue relationship with the Father and His Son, we will be filled to overflowing. We just sang that song. Isn't that cool? We get filled to overflowing. Sometimes we come to church and we're like, man, I just want to get topped off. It's been a long week. I can't wait to get to church to get topped off. Have you heard of that song, I Want to Go to Church? I love that song. My kids love that song, and um, I love that they love it because we should want to be around the house of the Lord, but... That's not it, because guess what? We leak throughout the week. We're crackpots. It all leaks out of us through the week, and we get to Thursday, and we're just dry. But when we pursue relationship, we get filled up to overflowing. Why? So that we can minister to others, right? Overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love. We need your presence, So, Sean Sean said something a few months ago in a a message, and it really impacted me. It was profound. He said, yes, every good gift is from God, but not every gift is for you. It might be for somebody else. He blessed you to be a blessing to somebody else. In John 4, Jesus is sitting at Jacob's well with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Jacob, whose name was turned to Israel, hence the nation. He's sitting at this well, and it just so happens to be in Samaria, And he's resting there. He sent his disciples into town to get some food. He's resting there, and this woman comes to the well in the middle of the day. Now, this is weird. Because the women of that day would go to the well in the mornings and at the evenings to fill up their jugs. So this woman's coming to the well in the heat of the day. And we find out why. Because she doesn't want to run in to the other women in the village. She's got a bit of a reputation. So she comes there. Now, keep in mind, the men didn't talk to women they were like second-class citizens and the men didn't talk to them. secondly she's a Samaritan okay they hated Samaritans thirdly she's coming to the middle of the day which is kinda of strange now Jews hated Samaritans because when the Israelites were taken off into captivity to Babylon for 70 years there was a remnant that was left and this remnant intermarried with the people of that region which they weren't supposed to do but they did And when the Israelites came back, they saw this, and they hated them. Called them half-breeds. And it kind of exiled them. So, you have Jesus' disciples. They're traveling north. You have Judea in the south, which is where Jerusalem is. You have Galilee in the north, which is where Jesus is from. And they're traveling. Now, if you were a good Jew, you did not go through Samaria. You would actually travel all the way around to get there. So you didn't have to come in contact with them. Okay? But not Jesus. He just jumps right in. So let's read what he says. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here again to draw water. She wants a practical need met, but also she doesn't want to come there again and be around the people that are looking down on her. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you're now with is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Good perception. He goes from you're a Jew to sir to you're a prophet. In this short conversation that she's having, being in the presence of Jesus. Now, cool thing is, she gets it. She gets it. She gets filled up. How do we know? Because she runs back and she tells everybody in town about Jesus. And they come. And it says, many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus. She got filled up. And it splashed out onto other people. Now, in verse 31, Jesus is talking with his disciples after they came back from getting food. And it says they were urging him to eat, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, did anybody bring him a sandwich? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now remember back in John 6 when he's talking to the crowd and he says, don't work for the food that perishes. Don't work for the perishes. I had a friend of mine, he used to say, he was fond of saying, it's all going to burn. Yes, it's all going to burn, but it is currently, right now, today, perishing. Did you look in the mirror this morning before you came here? We're all getting older. We're all losing our luster. And they say, what do we need to do to do the works of God? And he said, ah, the work is to just believe. So when we have relationship with God, when we believe, we get filled up. In the next chapter, this is great, John chapter 7. Jesus and his disciples are going up to Jerusalem. No matter where you were in the world, when you were going to Jerusalem, you were going up. You were always going up. And he's going to the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, is what they used to call it. And during this feast, they would celebrate the time when they were in the wilderness after they left Egypt. And Jesus, um, I to God, would uh, provide all of their needs. So God provided the manna and the quail, both of which they complained about. He provided the water in the rock. He, uh, he had also provided the law to Moses. And so they celebrated all these things. So there was lots of ceremony um, and pomp during the feast. But one day specifically was very, very important. At the beginning of the feast, the, the priest would make a procession down to the pool of Siloam. And they would fill up. This huge gold pitcher. And then they would all proceed back up to uh, the temple. And the people, tens of thousands of people, would be lining the streets and they would be waving palm branches. As they carried this living water back up to the temple. That sound familiar? Jesus says, I'm the living water. And when he comes into Jerusalem, they're waving palm branches. And it says, on the last day of the feast the great day now on the great day what would happen is the priests would go up to the temple they would actually circle uh, the altar seven times and then they would pour out what was left And as they were pouring it out, they're thanking God for his provision, but they're also asking him for his living water to provide the rain. And they're also looking forward to the Messiah, who is going to be the ultimate provision for their people. And so you have to put yourself in this situation. They are doing that. Everybody, tens of thousands of people, are bowed down, and they're looking at this thing going on. You can hear a pin drop. It's quiet, except for the priest. At this moment... Tens of thousands of people. Jesus stands up in the middle of everybody, and he shouts. Go ahead and put it up there. He shouts, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's a pretty bold statement. You imagine the stir that that caused as he stands up and says, listen, this whole ceremony, everything that's going on here, it's about me. I'm the provision. And it says there was, you know, there was this huge um, you know, scuffle. Uh, they actually sent the temple police in to arrest him. They don't do it. And the Pharisees are like, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you grab him? And they said, nobody's spoken like this before. Nobody's ever done anything like that before. So best part about being filled up is that it's overflowing. It splashes out onto other people. And here's the question. We've been around people, uh, and you, they leave, and you know, you're like, man, I just feel like I got my batteries charged. You know, I, there's, that person is just refreshing to be around. And then other people, you're like, I'm pretty sure that person just sucked the life right out of me. <laughs> and I'm like dry inside after that person left. Are we wells of refreshment to other people? right sinners loved to be around jesus they love to be around him do sinners love to be around us as christians are we refreshing all right point number 3 speaking of water point number 3 when we pursue relationship with god we become fruitful first we're forgiven Then we're filled up, and then we get fruity. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable, which is typically called the parable of the sower. I like to call it the parable of the soils, because the sower is the same, it's Jesus, and the seed is the same, it's the gospel, but you have these different soils that it falls on. Let's read it. A sower went out to sow. He who has ears, let him hear. What keeps us from being fruitful? It said that the first batch fell on the path. It's stone hard. There's no way that that seed is getting through. And the birds, now when you hear birds of the air in the Bible, typically it uh, is referring to evil. So evil comes and snatches those seeds right up. Okay, have you ever met somebody, and when the subject of church or Jesus or God comes up, automatically there's this wall that comes up. They're hard-hearted. Nothing's going to penetrate their heart, those seeds of the gospel. In Matthew 12, 30 through 32, it says this, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I often used to wonder about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and what was that. I wanted to make sure I didn't do it. You know, The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a hard heart that refuses to believe in Jesus Christ and surrender their life to him. That is the ultimate sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus says regarding the Holy Spirit, we read it earlier. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. People know there is a creator, but they refuse to submit their lives to him. They don't want to be accountable to anyone. Second thing that keeps us from being fruitful is no root system. In Colossians 1, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, you received it. Now get walking. Do it. Get built up. Have those roots grow down deep. But if we don't uh, receive it, if we don't do The walking, then when hard times come, because Jesus promised, in this world you're going to have trouble. When hard times come, if we don't have those roots, we're going to literally uh, wither away. And we're going to say, listen, this, this doesn't seem worth it. Why are all these things happening to me? You know, the enemy starts pelting us, trying to replace those seeds with seeds of doubt. If God loves you, Uh, Why is your marriage on the rocks? If God loves you, why is your loved one sick? If God loves you, why did you lose your job? And if you're not rooted in Christ, those things can cause you to wither as a Christian. So how are we rooted in Christ? Um, We are rooted in Christ. I was watching a message by Robert Morris uh, earlier this week, and he said it so plainly, I thought I would steal it. Uh, he said, how we come to Jesus Christ to get rooted is that we worship, we pray, and we read the word of God. Very simple. We worship, we get our eyes off of ourself, look to Jesus for who he is, not just for what he can do for us. And we praise him. And then we pray, we communicate with him. If you're a parent, you have kids, you know, one of, this is painful. The kids don't understand. Okay, listen up. When we ask our kids, we want to communicate. We say, how was your day today? Fine. Well, what did you do? Nothing. Okay. They're not communicating, right? They want to talk. You want to talk to them. God wants to talk to you. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Say, for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Say his purpose. We quote this a lot. of We just sing about it, right? Which is awesome. Again, not planned. God did that. Um, Sometimes we assume that we know what is good for us. All right? And also how it fits into his will, his purpose for our lives. And that's a dangerous thing. Uh, because sometimes we can assume what we know is good. My four-year-old daughter will come to me from time to time, and uh, it's bedtime, actually it's probably past bedtime, Um, and she will ask me for an icy, you know, one of those frozen sugar syrup tubes. And the last thing she needs before bedtime is an icy. And she will do her best to convince me that that is good for her, but it's not. But I've done this, and we do this with God. We say, how could this not be the most good for our life? I don't see how this could um, not be the most good. In Matthew 20, we have a story of Jesus' aunt, his Aunt Salome. It's Mary's sister. And she's the mother of James and John. And she approaches him one day, and Jesus says, what can I do for you? And she says, grant That uh, my two sons, these two sons of mine, are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus looks at her and says, you don't know what you're asking. I know you think this is good, but you don't know what you're talking about. When you see the big picture, in retrospect, sometimes we realize, oh, that thing would not have been good for me. Any Garth Brooks fans? Out there, remember the song, Unanswered Prayers? Do you remember that song? Let's go back and listen to it, I guess. Um, but in Matthew 27, it tells us, at the crucifixion, there is a group of women from Galilee that ministered to him and his disciples during his earthly ministry. And she's standing there. they says, they're, they're witnessing this whole thing takes place. And she is standing there looking at her nephew on the cross, ushering in his kingdom, And there's a man on his left and a man on his right. And what must have gone through her head thinking, I asked him if my two sons could be on his right and his left. I had no idea what I was asking. You know the end of the parable. Okay, the seed that falls on the fertile soil says that it it bore fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, are there any farmers in the room? Any farmers? Okay, you have to believe me. Um, I texted a farming buddy of mine. I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to talk about this, but I don't really know. So what's a good yield, right? What's a good yield? I don't, I don't know. And he's like, well, the five-year average on uh, bush- bushels per acre. And I'm like, eh, 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 I don't understand. I don't care. Just, just <laughs> I don't, I just want to just bottom line it for me. Just tell me. And he goes, okay, about one and a half times what you planted would be good. He's like if you got double what you planted, that would be phenomenal. He said it just really doesn't happen that much. And if you were to get 3 times, it would like break records. It'd be crazy. Uh, this is why there's not a lot of money in farming, folks, okay? Um, and so for Jesus's hearers to hear him say 30, 60, 100 fold, this would have sounded crazy. But it's because it's supernatural production. Superna- it can't happen outside of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But a lot goes into making the fertile soil, right? It's not just fertile all by itself. A lot goes into this. And this is the last part, and then we'll be done. Luke 13 is the parable of the fig tree. And he, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. None. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I've found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Sometimes we feel like the tree, right? Not a lot happened in our life right now. I'm surrounded by manure. Manure. If I make a move, I'm going to step in it. Doesn't seem real good right now. But that is what was best for the tree. If the tree was going to produce fruit, it had to have some fertilizer. I heard a pastor say once that Christians are kind of like manure. If you spread them around, they can do a lot of good. But all clumped together, they start to stink. But We at the worship team... (laughs) That doesn't really have anything to do with that. Um, <laughs> the worship team can come back up as we wrap up. There's going to be difficult times in our life. But as a good friend of mine would say, they're character building. I'd say, ooh, that, that sounds rough. he You'd like, eh, it's character building. And that's what God is trying to do. He wants to make us fruitful. And so sometimes we have to go through uh, the manure of life to be fruitful. All things work together for good, right? All things work together for good, for those who believe and are called according to his purpose. He knows what's good for us and what's going to make us fruity. Not the things of this world. Only the things that are done for eternity are going to last. That's it. Can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. The presence of his presence forgiveness, getting filled to overflowing, and being fruitful. What does fruitfulness look like? Homework assignment. Go home and study Galatians 5, fruits of the spirit. Study that. That's what it looks like. How do we pursue relationship with Jesus? I'm going to have to preach it again if you don't help me out. Worship, prayer, and read your Bible. Amen. Stand and let's worship.